0: I also just want to thank you for being here. I know, I know break is on the mind. Uh, I know that you're ready to leave or get out or just be done with class. But thank you for being here because I believe this moment matters. And that the Lord has a word. Because that's what he does. He speaks. And he transforms. So let's, let's start. I'll, I'll ask you, who, who do you model your life after? Maybe you've thought about that before. When I was growing up, it was my, it was my dad. And, and particularly, I wanted to be like my dad. And my dad shaved every day. So I started to shave with him every day, starting at age five. I would shave with my Superman shaving kit. And I'm convinced it's why I can grow a beard like this today. Uh, so I wanted to be like him. In, in sports, I, play, I played football, and I modeled myself after uh, a linebacker in the, in the NFL named Ray Lewis. Uh, he, maybe you know him, but he played with passion. He liked to dance a lot, and he got the crowd pretty hyped. And so that's how I played football. And it's kind of a little how I preach. I use my hands, and if I get really into yeah, you've probably seen him. I get in like linebacker stance when I preach sometimes. Uh, right, that's how I model myself. And then even as my time as a student at Dort, there was, a, there was a leader and mentor who was one of the most honest and vulnerable people I've, I've ever met. And still to this day, when I think about leadership, I think about him. And leading from a place of weakness rather than strength. Who is it for you? Who do you model your life after? And at the risk of sounding kind of like a bumper sticker, I want to tell us that Jesus is our model. It's better than like Jesus take the wheel. I'd for sure rather have Jesus, you're our model on our car. But at times we, we treat and we know Jesus is our savior, that he saved us from sin and death. And there's times where we, we know that Jesus is our Lord, that we believe him and obey him in what he taught And I hope Jesus is your Savior, and I hope Jesus is your Lord, but Jesus is also your model. He's our model in the way that he lived, and he's our model in the way he interacted with and had a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes, if you've ever had this thought, we think, you know, Jesus is God, He's divine. He's unique. There's no way I could be like him, and there's no way I could do the things that he did and does. But Jesus was human, too. And Jesus' life and his mission and his relationship with the Spirit was not only fulfilled in his divinity, it was also fulfilled in his Holy Spirit-anointed humanity. Let's go to the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 2. This is from the message. He says, Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. Model after him. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human, Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim any special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life. And then he died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Jesus became human and Jesus stayed human. And that is good news for you and for me. Because if Jesus lived his life in the power of, of the, his Holy Spirit anointed humanity, so can we. Jesus is our model. And two weeks ago, we saw that Jesus modeled that the work of the Spirit in our lives is first about identity, that our identity precedes our performance. That's where God's Spirit's work starts, but it's not where the Spirit's work ends. So let's go back. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 4. If not, it will be on the screen. And let's go back. And, And if we remember, we saw that Jesus in Luke 4 verse 1, he entered the wilderness full of the Holy Spirit. And he left the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. What's the difference? Well, in this context, to be full means to be thoroughly permeated with. So Jesus was fully permeated with the Holy Spirit. And here in the life of Jesus, to be full of the Spirit is primarily about God's indwelling Spirit. It's about God's personal presence in Jesus It's about Jesus' identity as son being confirmed. It's tied to his baptism. And God's indwelling spirit is true of all Christians. This is what makes you and me and the church distinct and set apart. God's personal presence with us and in us. But power comes from the word dunamis. Right, that's where we get the word dynamite. You've probably heard that before. And it can mean strength, ability, or power. So Jesus returned to Galilee in the strength or in the ability of the Spirit. And in this context, to be in the strength or to be in the ability of the Spirit is primarily about God's empowering presence. So to be full of the Spirit is God's personal presence, which confirms identity. And to be in the power of the Spirit is about God's empowering presence, which leads to mission, to proclamation. And the Holy Spirit is both God's personal presence and God's empowering presence. One of the main ways theologian Gordon Fee describes the Holy Spirit Is God's empowering presence. He's a book by that title. And if you read scripture, it makes sense because power is throughout it. In Luke 24 and Acts 1, Jesus says, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Peter preached in Acts 10, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And if we're to scan the entire Old and New Testaments, they reveal a God of power. A God who empowers his people to challenge corrupt kings the power to open up seas, the power to stop the sun, to raise the dead, the power to forgive, the power to lay down our lives, and the power to renounce the unholy trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you you might be thinking, well, hold on, Sam. Just a few weeks ago, you talked about how the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a power to wield, but it's a person to know. I stand by that because the power of the Holy Spirit is not a worldly power to wield for the sake of self. It's not power to build up your own personal brand, grow your finances, or constantly move everything in your life up and to the right in the name of Jesus. No, the power of the Holy Spirit Personal ascent, spiritual ascent comes through personal descent. And Jesus modeled this. He left heaven and came to earth. Jesus willingly went into the wilderness, was weak and dependent on his parent. And the ultimate act of weakness, he was murdered on a cross. And it's in those places where he was empowered. And this understanding of power is what defined Jesus' life and ministry. And this morning I want to tell us how that happened in, in two primary ways. First, Jesus was empowered to proclaim the kingdom of God is here. So how did this understanding of being in the power of the Spirit define Jesus' life and ministry? Well, here's the first way. First, Jesus was empowered to proclaim the kingdom of God is here. In Luke chapter 4, right after Jesus leaves the wilderness, he goes to Nazareth and he preaches. And he opens up the scroll and he begins to read from the prophet Isaiah and he reads these words. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is saying, the Spirit's presence is on me. The Spirit's power has anointed me, and I am here to proclaim release and freedom to all people everywhere. I am here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I'm here to proclaim God's kingdom. And then Jesus says these words in verse 21. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Translation, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of peace, the kingdom of freedom of wholeness, of fullness, of completeness is here now. Heaven has burst into earth. Let me illustrate. Go back to maybe when you were a little kid and and you dreamed of being something when you grew up. Maybe it was a teacher or a coach or a professional athlete or maybe you dreamed about being an engineer at five years old. Who knows? But whatever it was, you knew you had to wait to be an adult to be that thing. As a kid, you're hyper aware of childhood and adulthood. And you longed to be older. Maybe you feel that a little bit right now as you think about graduating and and wanting to do what you're here for after college. You longed for the future as a kid. But what Jesus is saying, he says, You don't have to wait. You don't have to long anymore because the future has come into the present. The then has come into the now. Heaven is here. The kingdom of God is here. And Jesus uses kingdom language throughout his ministry And if we stick to the Gospel of Luke, we can just look. If you scan chapters 4 through 9, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God is here through his word and deed. You see that demons are cast out, the blind are given sight, the lame walk, storms are calmed, and beatitudes and parables are preached. And repeatedly in these moments, do you know what Jesus says? Some variation of the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus was empowered to proclaim the kingdom of God through his word and his deed. And his whole ministry points to God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus' entire ministry seeks the Father's kingdom and the Father's glory. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I do not seek my own glory. So Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit to proclaim God's kingdom and God's glory. And we're called to do the same. It's true for us. So yes, the Holy Spirit is power, but it's the power that enables us. It's the power that liberates us to point to and proclaim God's kingdom rather than build our own. And it's concerning if we look around the Western and American church, how today it's been built around personalities who promote their own glory and build their own kingdom under the banner of gospel proclamation. And this is not just megachurches or celebrity pastors, but this is us. This is you, and this in me is me, and we must acknowledge our desire to build our kingdom rather than point to or proclaim God's kingdom. And we must recognize and admit that at times we desire our glory more than we desire God's glory. In an article titled How to Spot a Personality Cult, Mark Hampton writes this If the church is to reclaim its power as a countercultural witness for Christ, we must assess the effects of this sort of idolatry. We must learn to spot cults of personality whether large or small. Yes to that. Whether it's a church or celebrity pastor, and maybe even, not maybe, and even more importantly, to learn to spot it in ourselves, in you and in me. The power of the Holy Spirit is the pro- power to proclaim God and his kingdom here and now not our own. The Spirit empowered Jesus in another way as well. After all the preaching, after all the miracles, we get this verse in Luke chapter 9. When the day drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus set his face towards his death. So first, Jesus was empowered to proclaim the kingdom of God is here through his word and deed. But second, he he was empowered to proclaim the kingdom of God is not yet through his servanthood and suffering. Jesus was empowered to proclaim the kingdom of God is not yet through his servanthood and suffering. And this is the part of the spirit-empowered life that we don't usually like to talk about or deal with. We like victory and triumph. We like faith that can move mountains, but we're not really sure how to handle suffering, adversity, or hardship. Let's hear what the Apostle Paul has to say about suffering in Romans 8. Paul writes For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear We will be heirs of God. We will be glorified if we suffer with him. And perhaps as Paul was writing this, he had in mind the agonizing context in which Jesus himself cried out, Abba, Father, in the Garden of Gethsemane, pleading with God for another way besides the suffering of the cross. But Jesus was obedient to the Father and was empowered by the Spirit to suffer in the bloody sweat of Gethsemane and the blood, sweat, and hell of the cross. Jesus is the suffering servant. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit cannot be divorced from suffering. It's all over Scripture. The New Testament, Paul says this in Philippians 3, if we want to know the power of the resurrection, we must become like Jesus in his death. Jesus says himself, my power is made perfect in weakness, in suffering. And again, Paul wrote, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am powerful. Dort, there is no life without death. There is no crown without thorns. There is no fire of Pentecost without the blood of Calvary. Michael Green says this, There is no exultant, joyous experience of the Spirit of Christ without a corresponding taste. Of Christ's suffering so yes the Holy Spirit is power but it's the power that enables us it's the power that liberates us to persevere and endure suffering to proclaim God's kingdom is not here yet and again in our Western context We're constantly invited to imagine a world and future without suffering. It seems that all of our technology and innovation is geared towards defying aging or human frailty. That we're constantly encouraged to push beyond our limits and capacities as humans. Slowly but surely, our technology is forming us to believe that and act like we are God. The reality, though, is that our technology is going to keep on progressing. But we as humans will basically stay the same. We are not God. We are not the creator. We are the created. We are creatures. We are weak. We are dependent. And that's the place of power. That's the place in our weakness, in our sufferings, in our our adversity, where God's personal presence draws near, and when His empowering presence can have His way in our hearts, in our lives, and in our world. So be weak, be human. Jesus was. You don't have to play God. So Dort, Jesus is our model. He was empowered to proclaim the kingdom of God is here through his word and deed. And he was empowered to proclaim the kingdom of God is not yet through his suffering and servanthood. And you are called to proclaim these realities as well. But it must come from a place of power. It has to come from a place of power to hold any sway over the gates of hell and the current reign of death and darkness in our world. John Stott writes this. He says, what we need is not more learning. I don't know what that says about us. Not more eloquence, not more persuasion, nor more organization, but more power from the Holy Spirit. And so I ask, are you willing to be weak? Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to proclaim Jesus and his kingdom rather than build your own? Because that's the kind of power our world desperately needs. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power that transforms, the power that renews, the power that restores. That's the power that redeems. That's the power of the Holy Spirit.